In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. We ask you now, O God, to use and rule over our thoughts and our words, so that it may be your word which is spoken and your word which is heard. Amen. This tremendous event of the transfiguration of our Lord, when when our Lord took three of his privileged disciples, Peter, James, and John, three privileged disciples chosen from among that already privileged band of twelve that were his apostles, and brought them up to the mountain to witness his transfiguration into glory before them, before their very eyes. This was a watershed moment in their lives. And so it shouldn't be surprising that we find this gospel, this particular uh, description of this event in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are called the synoptic gospels because they see with one eye. They follow generally the same story arc, although each of them has their own uh, area of emphasis that they make. It shouldn't be surprising that it's in all three of them. But two of those privileged disciples who survived long after the event. Remember, of course, St. James uh, was the first to be martyred of the apostles, and he died rather early in the church's history. But Peter and John lived on, and later in their life they wrote about this event. It was such an important event in their lives. Peter writes in his second epistle, We had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when that unique declaration came to him from the majestic glory, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. And St. John, in that beautiful prologue to his gospel, says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. This tremendous event that shaped their whole lives. It shouldn't be surprising, therefore, that it also shapes our church's calendar. We will celebrate this day again by itself in August. But every year, the Church gives us on the second Sunday of Lent this Gospel. And why is that? We're about a quarter of the way into our Lenten observance. And this event in the Gospels, our Lord is ready to depart from Galilee in the north, where he's been ministering, and go to Judea and to Jerusalem to his certain death that he knows is going to come suffering and death for the sins of the world. And he's ready to set out. But before he does that, he shows these privileged disciples his glory. A prosperity gospel. A gospel that teaches that God wants us to be happy no matter what and there will, you know, and not to suffer is simply not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus was setting out to depart to Jerusalem to suffer and die. And he has told his disciples, he tells us over and over again, in this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. There is no glory without suffering. There is no resurrection without the cross. 
There is no triumph without struggle. And our Lord is ready to set out for Jerusalem, but he shows them kind of a hint at the end of the story that everything that they're going to suffer, that he is going to suffer, is going to result in glory. So we here, about a quarter of the way into our Lenten observance, you know, the shine is maybe rubbed off a little bit. I don't know about you, if you're like me, and I know I am. I, I love Lent, you know, and get all excited about the beginning of it and get all charged up to, you know, what disciplines I'm going to take on and, you know, prayer and fasting and almsgiving and all this stuff. And, you know, a week into it, you, you kind of slipped up on Monday. And, you know, you think, okay, all right, next day I'll, I'll start back, I'll do better, I'll, I'll get back on track. But this Lent, this, you know, period of five weeks or so that we set aside to prepare ourselves is sent to prepare us for celebrating the resurrection on Easter. And it's a hint of what our lives really are, our preparation for the great Easter in heaven, please God. Here we struggle. Here we suffer. Here we go through the training that God gives to us to make us the saints that he wants us to be forever in heaven. And all those distractions, those good things in life that we strip away in Lent, in our disciplines, we strip away in Lent so that we can enjoy them in Easter. And the same thing happens, it seems to me, with Peter, James, and John. It's so easy to be distracted by the glory. They are astonished at our Lord's glory. And Moses and Elijah, presence there before them. And Peter does what he always does when he doesn't know what to say. He just babbles. But our gospel ends with this wonderful, just very abruptly, with this wonderful little turn. After they hear the voice, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Suddenly, Looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone. All of that glory, the, the honor of Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, you know, they're pointing to our Lord, stripped away. And all that remains is Jesus alone in their eyes. And that is what our Lent is doing. It's stripping away all that so that we can focus on the only thing that ultimately matters, and that is Jesus Christ alone. And we do that so that we can be transformed, that our Lent on earth, which was represented by these 40 days plus Holy Week that lead us into Easter, and our Lent that is our life on earth, leading us through this time of struggle and temptation, and difficulty to lead us to the glory of the resurrection. So that at the end we might, please God, hear our divine master say to us, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter. That's what we're called for. That's what Lent is about. That's what our life is about. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Please, God, that when we come to the end of our Lent, 
we will hear those words. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.